0: This is the Positive Psychology Podcast, episode 55. Welcome to the Positive Psychology Podcast, bringing your earbuds the science of the good life. And now, your host, Kristen Trumpy. Hey, hello folks and welcome. Hey to those of you who were wondering what happened to the weekly episode schedule? I apologize. I am really sorry. What happened was that I went to Germany to the positive psychology coaching workshop. And then I thought, well, I'll return on Wednesday and then just um, crank out an episode then. And that will be fine. You know, I'll be all fired up and inspired from the from the workshop. And the workshop was great. It was awesome. I met a lot of cool people, a lot of really nice connections, li- nice human moments, and I learned a lot from Robert Biswastiner, however, I got really sick, I mean, not really, really sick, but sick enough to have the kind of uh, Phoebe Buffet voice, in case you're familiar with friends, which now that I think about it, I should have podcasted with that voice, and if I would, I would have sung you know, the song Smelly Cat, Smelly Cat, It's Not Your Fault, or something like that. But I hope my voice is better now, but you might, you know, hear a little bit here and there. Still not quite over it. But now I just thought, man, I can't, I just can't go without recording for that long. So, today... I have an episode on willpower for you, and it's not structured the way usually my podcasts are structured, Um, rather what happened was that I listened to the book, and I took a couple of notes, and I thought, hey, I should share this with you guys, because this is really, some of it is quite surprising, and I think definitely helpful. So, today we're going to talk about Kelly McGonigal's book, The Willpower Instinct, and I'll just, you know, it will be a little bit more random than normal. Now, at the beginning of the book, she talks about willpower exercises, and one of them, which I have to be honest, I didn't try this one yet, is to slow down your breathing to four to five breaths a minute, and... Usually, people apparently asked her like, "How do I do do that?" And I wondered that as well. I was listening to them. I'm like four to five breaths a minute. I don't know, but then she said, "Focus on the exhalations. So do this for two minutes a day, and do it before you're trying. You have to do something challenging. I suggest you just try this out. You know." The thing with science is that even the things that have been supported by evidence, like pretty much everything that Kelly McGonigal is talking about, you never know. It's always for the majority of people. So this is true that if you take 1,000 or 10,000 people, for the majority, everything that we talk about is true. However, it's not necessarily true for you. So you still have to look at everything from a experimental point of view and just give it a go and try it out and I suggest that you really try these things or consider the thoughts which kind of don't really jibe with what you thought willpower is about that's what I would just suggest so one of the other exercises she talks about is to um brush your teeth with your non-dominant hand or I'm not even sure if she talked about it or if I picked that up in another um book about habits. Basically, that's also another exercise that people can do. So when it comes to willpower, it's the thing is that we need to recover from the exertion of self-control. So what a lot of people don't get is that basically willpower was not designed to be this thing to help you achieve all your goals. Willpower was designed to solve specific problems. It's not a mechanism to control everything all the time. And if we try to control things all the time, this is toxic and physically stressful. So choose willpower wisely and remember that self-control is long-term, but that stress induces short-term actions. And this means that if you're stressed out, this might derail all your efforts. And that's a pretty consistent theme throughout the book. So one big topic that Kelly McGonigal talks about, and I have to admit, I sometimes do this myself, it's called moral licensing, and the idea is basically that we think about something that we did and we give ourselves the license to act in a way that's actually not in the interest of our long-term goal. So... It has been found that if people focus on the good that they have already done, this can make them skip helpful actions. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, the thing is that, you know, in general, I encourage you to focus on the good. However, this comes with a caveat, and the caveat is that if you find yourself That you're talking yourself out of things that are good for you more often than not. You're doing moral licensing. And they found that if people were asked, how much progress did you make? They were more likely to indulge than when people were asked, how committed are you to this goal? If people were asked, how committed were you to this goal or are you to this goal? There was no indulgence. Why did you stick to your goals? Again, no indulgence. But if you think about how much progress you've made, chances are you will think like, "Oh, let's um, let's have let's not go to the gym today. Let's eat that whatever it is that you're not supposed to eat, or um, let's not you know write today or whatever it is that you're trying to do." They also found something that I find pretty funny, um, and it's basically this finding that you know are you one of the people who you know wants to have a salad when you're at McDonald's well basically what they found is that salad is clouding your calorie estimates that means that if people think you know if you if you show people a, a menu let's say a cheeseburger fry and fries they will estimate how much calories that has if you show another group of people The cheeseburger, the fries and the salad, they estimate that the whole meal has less calories than if the salad was not around. Which doesn't make any sense because if that would make any sense, the salad would actually have to burn calories. And it doesn't do that. They also found that people are more likely to do more licensing if they have already paid. or This can be either money or through some other way. Something which helps them reduce their guilt. So, for example, there is this idea of uh, carbon off... What's... uh, I just forgot the name. Oh, off carbon. You can basically pay money to offset, carbon offset. That's the word I was looking for. To offset, you know, the impact that you make. And it was found that instead of actually protecting the environment, it makes people fly more and take the bus more because they feel like oh well i i I saved the environment after all and this didn't have any impact on the environment whatsoever one thing that people do or sometimes suggest is to use rewards to get us to do things and i always felt kind of that that was wrong intuitively, but I didn't know why. So here comes the science why. We don't reward ourselves for who we are. We reward ourselves if we believe that at our core, we want to indulge in the wrong behaviors. So the question is, do you identify more with your impulses or your long-term goals? And I found that to be true, at least in my life, That whenever I try to reward myself, it's basically something that I don't feel is part of my regular nature. So I never had to reward myself in my entire life to play soccer. Never. I never had to reward myself to study. You know, those are just things I like to do. Well, okay, let's back up. I hated studying when I was a young kid and then I simply didn't do it with or without rewards. But, you know, as I as I got into psychology and stuff, nobody ever had to give me a reward for studying. The studying itself is the reward. So if you try to get yourself to do something regularly and then you give yourself chocolate for that or anything, it basically means that deep down inside, you don't believe that you're a runner or a writer or whatever it is that you're trying to do. Now, I'm a big fan of the human brain. However, it turns out that the human brain is confused about something. It is confused about the difference between the promise of a reward and happiness. It seems like our brain makes us believe that happiness is the promise of a reward. But actually, if we... Engage in something that's supposed to be rewarding, we might do more and more of it without actually feeling happier. And that can be pretty stressful. So, in order to curb that, what we can do is to try to notice when wanting something triggers stress and anxiety. That's what uh, Kelly McGonagall suggests. And again, she comes up with this point that feeling bad leads to giving in. So, if you If you are stressed, you will create more and more willpower failures, and this will lead you to give up, which then leads to more guilt and self-criticism, and then the cycle just continues and continues, and it sucks. So whenever you're stressed, your brain basically wants to make you happy. And it wants to make you happy right now. And as I said, the brain is a little bit confused. So how it will try to make you happy is to induce cravings which promise a reward. So if you're stressed out, chances are you feel you want that chocolate or you know that haughty at your office or whatever it is. And That's because your brain is like, well, I need to make you feel, you're stressed right now. I may have to make you feel better. So let me help you direct your attention towards the things that will make you happy. But again, the hot tea, the chocolate, all these things will probably not make you happy in the long run. So the thing is, if you feel bad about something, it's much more difficult to say no. No. And if we think about it, we might, and Kelly McGonigal doesn't talk about this, but this might actually have to do with addiction. So if we suffer from some kind of addiction, or some a loved one of us does, and we think like, oh, we need the tough love approach, we stress the person out, whether this person is ourselves or someone else. And that will make it even harder for that person to muster the willpower to get out of these addictive patterns so we should think twice about that now we've talked a lot about the mechanisms which don't work with willpower but McGonigal also talks about stuff that works and this includes exercising walking engaging in a creative hobby and spending time with friends these things are real stress relievers and that's because they trigger different hormones than dopamine, which is the neurotransmitter that is responsible for the whole reward and and all of that seeking of reward and all that. And it also reduces the stress hormones. It turns out that the news that we watch um, on TV, that we scrolled through on the internet, on our phones, it's often pretty negative, and I've talked about that a lot as well. And what happens was that this creates a lot of free-floating anxiety. There's a thing called terror management theory, and it predicts that people spend more when they're reminded of death in order to restore some comfort. This was shown to be true, for example, with smokers. Now, you've probably seen some of the cigarette packs where they have these really disgusting images of, you know, these cancerous lungs and people without, you know, like with amputated legs and stuff like that. Well, what happens is that that stresses smokers out and naturally they will smoke more. And guilt does the same to people it leads to comfort seeking and to the reasoning which goes something like this what the hell i might as well do it and also a loss of hope that things can ever be different the they did a study once and they showed that the snackers who received a note saying that, you know, people feel guilty, but they should not be too hard on themselves because everybody indulges sometimes. They ate 28 grams of candy. Those who were given a chance to eat candy and didn't receive a note like that, they ate 72 grams. So those who were encouraged by saying, hey, look, um, It's normal to indulge something, don't feel bad about it, don't worry about it, they actually ate even less than half than the candy of the people who were just naturally given to their self-critical thoughts and that's something you might want to consider. Self-criticism predicts less self-control and more depression because the main priority is to soothe the bad feelings instead of learning from the experience itself. We think often think, well, if I'm hard on myself, I will that will encourage me to learn more, to do stuff, to pick up what happened, but that's actually not true. In another fascinating study, they looked at, they compared chimps, monkeys, with humans to find out who is better at refusing short-term gratification in order of receiving long-term gratification. When I heard this, and I'm a big fan of animals, but I thought, well, this is really not fair to the, to the monkeys, you know, like, I mean, how is that even a contest? Well, What happened was they offered both humans and monkeys two treats now or five treats in, no, six treats in two minutes. Two minutes, 120 seconds. It was found that humans are concerned with the future and they imagine that they will be good at some later point, which led them to discounting future rewards immediate payoff. That means they actually ate the two treats immediately instead of the six. The chimps, who as far as we know don't imagine their future selves, manage to wait two minutes and receives the six treats. Yep, make of that what you want. We can counteract these mechanisms by delaying something for ten minutes. This activates the future reward system, which is way less persuasive than the now reward system. You can do the opposite if you want to get going with something you otherwise procrastinate. So, for example, if you should be doing your homework or you should be doing your cleaning or something like that, Start doing it and tell yourself you can stop after 10 minutes. And don't lie to yourself. If you really feel like stopping after 10 minutes, by all means do it. But usually what happens is that we don't. Another study found that people really favor whatever option they hear about first. So they found this out by, by asking people, hey, you can have $100 in two weeks. But would you take only $50 if you could get the money now? Most people said no. But if you ask people, hey, you can have $50 right now. How about I give you $100 in two weeks? People said also said no. They hate losing something that they believe is theirs. So you can use this mechanism to frame your healthy option first. So that's also something that we often do. We look at the cheeseburger and we're like, "Mm, I want cheeseburger. And then we're like, well, but I should have the salad. Bad idea, bad idea. Because I mean, between salad and cheeseburger, it's usually not a tough competition for the cheeseburger anyway. Just because of evolution, it has really primed us to go for the food that has more energy, basically. And yeah, cheeseburger beats salad. But if you want a fighting chance, at least look at the salad first and think about all the good that you will put into your body. And then if you look at the cheeseburger and think about the bad that you're putting in your body, chances are you will take the salad. However, As we learned before, if you make the cheeseburger really, really, really bad and then you go for it, the stress will make you eat more, no less healthily actually. Another trick she talks about is to conquer your future tempted self by making decisions in advance. So you can get rid of temptation before you're actually subject to that temptation. That means you leave the credit card at home. You don't even go past the store that sells the ice cream or the cupcakes and doing all that. What they found is that goals are contagious. So if you want people to do something, instead of telling them what to do, you should do it yourself. Dr. Art Markman said something funny here. And if you're very religious, I apologize in advance, but I think he makes a brilliant point. Although I don't necessarily think that, you know, the offensive part is true, as in God is a failure, all right? I don't think that, but still, here it goes. Art Markman said, The Ten Commandments are an epic failure. Humans still steal and murder others. So if even God can't create a message that is powerful enough for people to stick to it, neither can you. Much more powerful is leading by example. However, goal contagion, that's the word for it, usually doesn't work to pick up brand new goals, but stuff that people have thought about that has been on the back burner before. So. Let's say if it was never your ambition to be in the Guinness Book of World Records, chances are you don't care about it if a friend of yours gets in there. However, if you always wanted to run a marathon and a friend of you starts training for the marathon and they eventually complete it and they talk about how awesome it was, chances are pretty high that you will start training as well. Downside of this is that rule breaking is contagious as well So even watching reality TV can make you less likely to uphold your own willpower This problem they found can be solved by thinking of someone with lots of self-control This can help to strengthen your own willpower so Contagion is more likely if you like the person That's what they call selective infection. So not everybody can motivate us and do stuff for us, you know, be the role model for us. The closer someone is to us and the more we like them, the more likely it is that there's goal contagion. McGonagall then returns to talking about medium. And they talk about how, you know, the media reports like, Oh, 40% of Americans don't exercise. And the reasoning is that like if we hear these shocking statistics, we will automatically jump off the couch, throw away the pizza, and hit to the gym and never come back again. And of course, this is not at all what happens. Basically, people think, Great, I'm within the norm. Everybody else is not exercising either i don't have to change a thing so the more your behavior feels like the norm the more likely you are to do it too or not do it and that is an important argument to think about the people you hang out with if you really want a goal to realize a goal no matter what it is you will have to start hanging out with people who already do these things because then it will seem normal to you. And if it seems normal to you, again, chances are you will do it. McGonigal returns as well to think of, to talk about thought suppression. Now that's also a cool one. We think that, well, if we just stop thinking about something, we will achieve our goals. If we stop thinking about bad things, we will achieve our goals. Scientists actually put this to the test and um, they instructed a group of people to not think about chocolate, but then of course they were given the option to eat chocolate. And then they told another group that they could basically think about chocolate and then eat it. And what they found was that people who didn't think about chocolate, they actually succeeded in not thinking about chocolate too often, but they eat twice as much chocolate as those who are allowed to think about it. Restricting food automatically increases the craving for it. And I know that I'm talking about food a lot. It's not that I'm that terribly interested. It's just that it seems to be the thing that universally the most people struggle with and that McGonagall talks the most about. What's also interesting is that if we feel fail with our attempts of reaching a goal we think that we didn't work hard enough to you know to do something we didn't want it enough we didn't suppress it enough instead of thinking that maybe suppression itself is a flawed mechanism which is of course what they found they found that giving up thought control increased behavior control so the more you accept your cravings, your weaknesses, the more likely you are that these things will not dominate your mind. She talks about this as turning an I want, you know, as in I want to do this or that, into I will. So instead of saying I want smoke, change it into. I will pursue a healthy lifestyle. She also talks about, when we talk about smoking, one thing that really derails, derails people is the urge. The urge to smoke is really, really strong. And she talks about surfing the urge. If I'm not entirely mistaken, I think that's something that comes from the Buddhist tradition. But it's actually really helpful um, in this completely non-religious content. It means that we instead of just looking the urge in the eye like it's some kind of big monster we investigate what the urge makes us feel like do we get a dry mouth how's the tension in our hands are we fidgeting are we what's going on what's our heart rate like how does our gut feel and if we stay at least for for with these sensations for a minute turns out that often the urge passes so basically to conclude the foundations of willpower are self-awareness self-care and remembering what matters the most now i hope you enjoyed this i hope you found this useful and i hope you already have ideas about how to apply this in your life Now, if you've listened this far, chances are that you got something out of this episode. I mean, who else would hang out, you know, Mm. listening to something for 28 minutes? You probably wouldn't unless it's of some value to you. So if it was, it turns out that in iTunes and Stitcher and all these other places where the Positive Psychology podcast is offered, people are more likely to find it if you rate and review it. So just go to iTunes, select the Positive Psychology Podcast, and rate and reveal it. I love to hear from from you guys. I, I love, you know, it's weird. Like, I'm sitting here in my room talking to the wall and a microphone, and I'm staring at two empty jars, and I know that, you know, thousands of people might listen to this at some point, but I don't know where you guys are. So I always love to hear from you be it through comments or emails. So yeah, hey, say hello. Say hello. Write a review. I would be really grateful if you did. Take care and talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Positive Psychology Podcast. We're saying goodbye with Happy Yogurt.